right. Um, what I'm going to speak about to you, with you this morning, this theme of identity, seems really removed from what we've just spoken about. The people of Myanmar, the people of India. Um, but we're in a time of massive cultural change at the moment. It's huge. These are the outworkings of this changing understanding of what the world is and how the world works. So we're living through a change that's as big as the Industrial Revolution. One of the things that happened during the Industrial Revolution, it was about machinery and the mechanization of things. But what happened to society was that the basic unit of society went from the village to the family. There was this massive cultural shift and all these uh, societal changes happened around that. The removal of the class system, all kinds of things got turned on their head through that change. And now we're going through another change. The digital revolution is moving the basic unit of society from the family to the individual. As Christians, we don't fear change. Actually, we shouldn't fear change. Uh, God is at work. He is faithful. He has given us his spirit. He will teach us and lead us and show us how to live and how to be in every season and at every time. His gospel is for the world. It speaks into every single culture and we can faithfully and obediently follow him in all places. Here in Myanmar and in India, we can still be faithful to God and our prayers for the Christian churches is that they will do that. The gospel holds. Uh, we don't need to fear change. But God's call on us is not to be uninformed. It's not to turn away and just go back into our little shell and circle the wagons. God's call to us is to be wise and mature and responsive to his spirit and live well in whatever season we find ourselves in. That's a great promise and it's a great challenge. How do we faithfully live as God's people in a world that is often difficult? That's the challenge before us. And right now, the battle that's going on is around this topic of identity. Um, the individual is being elevated and we're having to kind of renegotiate what it means to be human. In other words, we're not sure of our identity anymore. We don't know where to find it. Oscar Wilde said, be yourself, everyone else is taken. But the big unanswered question for our time is, who actually are you? What self do you need to be true to? So um, I wasn't going to do a discussion, but I feel like it would be good to. Uh, I'd love you, you've got two minutes, talk to someone else. You may need to move to do this, especially you introverts. You're going to love it. <laughs> um, talk to someone and explain who you are. Big picture. Go, you've got two minutes. Tell them who you are. You may need to swap halfway in between. Two minutes, Yeah. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I don't have to do it. <laughs>
All right, the clock's ticking, nearly time. All right, I'm going to wind it up. Who found that difficult? Can I just get a show of hands? <laughs> Sometimes the more you know people, the more difficult it is. Um, so you probably spoke about a lot of things. You may have spoken about uh, your vocation. You may have spoken about your story. You may have spoken about the things you like or the things that you do or where you are. You might have uh, even spoken a little bit about your passions and the things that drive you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I oh, know, you've got to start somewhere though, so you've got to start with something. So I, I want to read to you a quote, a fantastic quote that I um, just got onto this week. It says, Identity. It's always God's first move. Before we do anything wrong and before we do anything right, God has named and claimed us as God's own. But almost immediately, other things try and tell us who we are and to whom we belong. Capitalism, the weight loss industry complex, our parents, kids at school, they all have a go at telling us who we are. But only God can do that. Everything else is temptation. Maybe demons are defined as anything other than God that tries to tell us who we are. And maybe, just moments after Jesus' baptism, when the devil says to him, if you are the Son of God, he does so because he knows that Jesus is vulnerable to temptation precisely to the degree that he's insecure about his identity and mistrusts his relationship with God. So God's first move is to give us our identity. And the devil's first move is to throw that identity into question. Identity is like the tip of a spool of thread, which when pulled can unwind the whole thing. Identity is fundamental. It's like the end of a thread, which if you pull it, can unravel your life. So I want to ask you again, who are you? That's the question that we're going to wrestle with. It's not a theoretical question. The struggles that are going on in Myanmar are about identity. They're about what kind of nation they're going to be and what kind of values they're going to have and what it means to live as human beings together in a country. Identity is fundamental. There, there are kind of simple answers to this question. When, um, when the individual is the foundation for identity, comparison is often the natural response. I am what I have or what I like or what I've achieved or the experiences that I've had. Uh, I am my Instagram feed. I don't have an Instagram feed. Um, I am what I choose to be. I am what other people perceive me to be. Uh, when you think of yourself purely as an individual, comparison with others becomes the marker for how you feel about yourself. I'm me because I'm not like them. Identity based on those kinds of things is what Jesus warned about in the Sermon on the Mount when he said it's like building your house on a foundation of sand. That when challenges come, it's easily washed away, it's insecure, it doesn't hold, and it feeds insecurity. Yet this is the world our kids are growing up in. 
identity based in comparison is like searching for a home but never arriving. It's, you're never enough. There is no peace, no hope, because we are never at the top of the chart or there's always something else that we could compare ourselves to. It's exhausting and it's hollow. It's this... Um, it's the uh, foundation built on sand. So another simple answer to this question of who are you is to go the other way, to define yourself by joining a tribe. Find a group that offers real certainty and security. This is right, this is wrong, this is what you're meant to be. These things matter, this is where you belong. There's so many different places where people find a sense of tribe. Like, uh, I'm conscious that sport for Australian males is a big one, and there are many in the tribe of Port Adelaide and Adelaide Crows who are feeling pretty terrible about themselves <laughs> this weekend. Um, but it can be a footy club, or a conservative Christian group, or it can be the Pharisees. In Jesus' time, that was a tribe that defined itself and said, this is what it means to do life well. Or it could be a conspiracy theorist group, or a bikey gang, or a neo-Nazi group. All of these groups offer this kind of tantalizing, clear set of beliefs and norms. There is certainty and security. There is identity and belonging. You know where you belong, and you know what's expected, and you can have a sense of home. The price you pay for that certainty, though, is freedom, individuality, and truth. Uh, they lock you into this worldview that inevitably stagnates and goes off the rails. That, that was Jesus' criticism of the Pharisees. Not that they'd cared about the wrong thing, but that they'd stagnated and turned toxic because norms and rules and expectations can't deal with change or complexity. And we live in a complex world. They ask you to tune out other opinions, to defend the group, to make yourself blind to the truth that they don't have all the answers. They kill life and love, joy and creativity. Within a really well-defined group, there is no room for newness and spontaneity and difference. They rob you of one of the most, the most precious gifts that we have, our God-given uniqueness and freedom, that God has given us a sense of self that is beautiful and can't be imposed from the outside. It's one of the gifts, one of the challenges of being human. And um, one of the sad things I find about tribe, finding your identity in this well-defined group, is that often faith is a part of that. Often religion is used as a marker of belonging. Allegiance to a group is given, as well as a communal identity, this religious significance that to belong to this group is to be holy. 
That's horrible when it goes wrong. It's terrible. Jesus spoke about the Pharisees as blind guides, as whitewashed graves, as people that on the outside look good, but inside are rotting and decaying because they don't actually respond to truth. He pronounces woe on them. Sorry, I can't say that word very well. Woe. We just spoke about blessing the last couple of weeks. God longs to bless. But Jesus says to the Pharisees, woe on you, you whitewashed graves, you blind gods. Um, quote from Nadia um, Bowles-Weber, who I quoted before, she said, every time we draw a line between us and others, Jesus is on the other side of it. Powerful quote, the Pharisees were about us and them, and Jesus stood on the other side and said, woe to you, you are missing out on the blessing that I bring. Turning inward, circling the wagons, joining a tribe cuts us off from the life of God. So, talked about a spectrum between liberty and truth, relationship and judgment. Where do you stand on that spectrum? You have to stand somewhere. There's no option. You don't get to not choose. You have to live your life. You have to work out where you stand on this spectrum between holding on to the truth and to certainty and holding on to relationship and love and freedom and openness. Where do you stand? One thing I notice about this spectrum, uh, you've probably noticed it too, is that it's becoming increasingly polarized. The middle ground is getting taken away. It's harder and harder not to go to one end of that spectrum. Um, rather than attention to be embraced, um, liberty and truth, relationship and justice, they're presented as either or options, as binary. You either do one or the other. Our world is grappling with that. Like, this is behind so much of the violence and the struggle that's going on in the world. Much of it comes from an oversimplification of identity, trying to divide the world up into either truth or liberty. It's happening all over the world. We've mentioned Myanmar. Um, where one group tries to exert power over the other to say, this is the right way to live and all other ways are wrong, so I'm going to eradicate you. That's why the Christians in Myanmar are struggling so much. They're a minority. They don't fit the identity that's trying to be established. Um, but recently, it's probably been uh, most exemplified for the United States, by the United States for me the violence and turmoil that's going in, in there, the conflict between black and white, conservative and liberal. I, I don't know about you, but I've watched on to the United States and seen this country tearing itself apart. And it's because it's going further and further towards the extremes. There's a whole bunch of reasons for that. I'm not going to get into that. And social media and the role that that plays in polarizing people. But this is the world that we live in. forces us into camps or into worldviews to say, 
We either stand for this or we stand for that. We are over here and they are over there and they are in the way of us fulfilling our identity, of us being the society that we should be. Some are working for a world of diversity and unity, a place where anyone can be anything, where there's no judgment, where it's very individual-centric. You get to choose who you are and choose what you'll be. All truth is relative, which is an ironic statement. What happens in that world is that there is no diversity because there's no boundaries, there's no sense of difference. There's no sense that you can be different or have a different opinion. There is only one opinion, and that's no opinion matters. Very cynical worldview. Others are building a world of certainty, a society that reflects this really strong set of values and culture where um, they build from an oversimplification with the promise that um, there'll be this hard, shared, pure culture where if we can just get back to our values, then the world will be this beautiful um, kind of postcard. In America, it's that small town where people are able to ride their bikes around and apple pie and all of that. There's a hope to get back to that. But there's no freedom in that. There's no place for others, for the other. Uh, it's what's happening in places like South Africa where you get real um, gated communities and real separation where you can have people from completely different cultures that never interact. Um, both these groups are trying to build their identity on shaky ground. They're building from an oversimplification with the promise that if we can just get our way, we'll reach paradise where we get to be who we truly are. It's what human beings have done since the Tower of Babel, actually. It's this idea that we are going to decide who we're going to be. We've got this idea of what society should look like, and we're going to build it with our bare hands and make a name for ourselves without God. They're the simple answers that much of the world is living out of. It doesn't matter whether you stand on the left or on the right. It doesn't matter where, which part of the world you come from. These are the challenges that are going on before us. How are you feeling? <laughs> Thanks, man. I, um, I'm feeling... I've wrestled with this sermon, hey. It's been hard. I don't want to do an oversimplification myself. What I'm hoping to do this morning is just get us to the point of really feeling that struggle with the question. Over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into what our identity is in Jesus. And there is hope. It's coming. But you don't want to give the answer before you've actually grappled with the question. But into this question... God speaks. He speaks love and relationship. God is a God who seeks. The central claim of the New Testament, I think, is this, that Christ died for the ungodly. That is the big story of God, that God crosses all boundaries 
stands in solidarity with those who are his enemy. God is a God passionate about relationship, love and unity, even to his enemies. But the central response of the New Testament, the challenge that Jesus gave to people, Christ died for the ungodly, but he said, come, follow me. He demands absolute allegiance. He says, my way is the way. It's not a way, it is the way, the truth and the life. If you want life, you come with me. And if you reject me, you will face judgment and death. This incredible uh, love and this incredible firmness about what it means to have life. He is committed to truth and love, relationship and judgment. We try and simplify. We try and choose one or the other. Um, It's much easier if you simplify, let me tell you. If you don't care about um, truth, unity is really easy. It's like, well, we'll just do what you want and we'll roll on this together. If you don't care about unity, truth is really easy. It's just like, well, we're doing the right thing over here and you can... We don't care about you. We tend to choose one or the other to build our identity on. We try and build a home for ourselves. But God calls us to a new home. He says, I am building a kingdom and a world where there is grace and truth, unity and holiness. I'm not asking you to build that kind of world. I'm asking you to come and accept my invitation into that world. And then learn from me how to be the kind of people that live in my kingdom. How to live out my life. That's the invitation. Don't try and go off and set up society so that it will work amazingly. Come to me. Learn from me. And then I'll send you out like yeast and salt and light. So the question is, what kind of people do we need to be to live out that identity, that home in the kingdom here and now? How can we be in the world but not of the world? At home, here and now, but as strangers and aliens who are looking forward to a new home. That's the question before us as Christians. How can we live in Myanmar? in all the struggles that's going on there and graciously work but not be overthrown by everything that's happening there. So probably the question that I'll put to you then, it's not the question, who are you? It's the question, who are you trying to become? Where are you heading? What is the goal of your life? Um, The simple and difficult answer to that, as I promised, is that we are called to become like Christ. Colossians says, since you've been raised with Christ, I love it, you have been raised with Christ, not you will be, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, For you died and your life, your identity, 
is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Colossians will go on to tell us something of what that looks like to live out that identity. It says, Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Do you hear that? You've taken off your old self, you're putting on your new self, and in that we are united. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a, any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. All right, our kids are nearly ready to come back, so I need to wind up where I'm going to be looking at this over the next few weeks. But I want to leave you by reminding you that in Christ, we have a new identity. We're learning how to put this identity into practice, how to be holy, how to love our enemies, how to forgive and bear with each other and have compassion. Those things are not easy. They take wisdom and they take grace. It takes real maturity to learn how to balance those things. So I just want to um, actually finish up with a quote. It's from James Smith. It says, What do you want? That's the question. It's the first, last, and most fundamental question. We have this on the screen. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks. Um, it's the first, last, and most fundamental question of Christian discipleship. In the Gospel of John, it's the first question Jesus poses to those who would follow him. When two would-be disciples were caught up in John the Baptist's enthusiasm, begin to follow, Jesus wheels around on them and pointedly asks, what do you want? It is the question that's buried under almost every other question Jesus will ask of us. Will you come follow me? Is another version of what do you want? As is the fundamental question Jesus asks of his errant disciple Peter, do you love me? Jesus doesn't encounter Matthew and John or you and me and ask, what do you know? He asks. He doesn't even ask, what do you believe? He asks, what do you want? This is the most incisive, piercing question Jesus can ask of us, precisely because we are what we want. Our wants and longings and desires are the core of our identity, the wellspring from which our actions and behavior flow. Our wants reverberate from our heart, the epicenter of the human person. Thus, Scripture counsels, above all else, 
guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. That's who we are. Our identity is found in recognising that we are loved by God and aligning our hearts with his. So we're going to start looking at how you actually love your enemy when they want to kill you. We're going to start looking at how you give yourself away without losing the self that God wants to give you. We're going to look at how you serve those who want to take, how you speak truth to those who don't want to hear it. It's tricky to live this kind of life that Jesus did, but he's our model. And so we're going to look at how we live out our identity as people that, whose life is now hidden with him. But I'm going to pray as we start out doing that. <laughs> Lord Jesus, we thank you that our life is now hidden in you, that we have a home, that we don't need to build an identity for ourselves, but that you have given us the identity that says we are yours, that you have chosen us, that we are a part of your life and your family and your mission. Lord, we're tempted to find our identity in so many places. We're tempted to try and build an identity apart from you. Each and every one of us here still struggle with that temptation. So I pray that you would protect us. Teach us how to build and find ourselves in you. May we hunger and thirst for you. May we set our hearts on you and your ways. And may we be found in you even as we live in this world. Help us, we pray. Teach us your ways. Amen. Um, we're going we're gonna to see how we go for communion uh, elements. I'm not sure how our numbers are going to go. We uh, may need to be gracious because the kids are now back in with us. But um, as we head into communion,